The Book of Judges, a dark time in Israel's history, a pattern of failure, failure to follow God's law, failure to train up the next generation, failure to remember and celebrate God's faithfulness. We may be tempted to see the judges as heroes of the faith. However, the only hero of this story is God himself. The people of God chose the pleasures of sin over the promises of God, and the story of Judges is our story as well. In a desperately wicked and fallen world, the book of Judges reveals both the disgrace of sin and the deliverance only God can provide. The book of Judges is one of the most disturbing books of the Bible. It describes some of the most provocative and alarming times ever recorded in history. There's sex and violence, rape and massacre, brutality and deceit. It's all vividly described within the 21 chapters of this book. It describes a time in which the people of God chose sin over righteousness and disgrace over promise. That's one of the great things about this book not only reminds us of the realities of the brokenness and darkness of this world, but the realities of the promises, righteousness, and goodness of God. The book of Judges, perhaps more than any other book of the Bible, shows us both the disgrace of sin and the deliverance of God. Perhaps now, more than any other time, this is a perfect book for us. Perhaps it's time for us to re recognize our own disgrace and cry out for our own deliverance. I mean, God has done this time and time again. My hope and prayer that it's our turn to recognize our disgrace, the disgrace of sin, and the powerful deliverance of God. Before we get into our study, though, it's important that I remind you of something we do every new series, and that's our sermon study guide. This study guide is designed, and Jeff does a great work, our office staff do a tremendous work, and there's really two purposes for this. Number one, give you a place to write notes on Sunday mornings as you engage with the text so you can remember something the Holy Spirit might have, might have brought to mind might have exposed your heart, but there's also a series of questions throughout the week. And our hope is that you'll spend time in these questions each and every week so the truth of God and the power of his word can wash over your life. Not just on Sunday, but multiple days. You can do it on your own. You can do it uh, with your friends at work. You can do, use it as part of your small group. Our hope and prayer that this guide would not only be a useful resource for you on Sundays, but throughout the week. There's three formats of which you can get this study guide. There's always the old-fashioned spiral-bound notebook that our office puts available or makes available to you. And those are always found at the information center and the tables as you walk in. If you are here and you're like, oh man, I forgot that. How did I miss that? Just raise your hand. We have some good-looking people that would love to bring one to you. Just raise your hand high. Um, and uh, just don't be shy. Raise those up there. Leave them up there a moment. Uh, Riley over here too. Brad over to the far side. Sorry, Riley, to call you out like that. Um, you deserve it. You know better. I'll walk past those study guides. 
Also, if you're at home, I know there's a number of you at home due to this COVID rise, and if you want one mailed to you, just call us, maybe comment on um, Facebook if you're on there, or just call into the office, we can mail one to you. But there's also two other formats you can do. You can download the entire PDF format, share it with your friends, and you have it on your device, have it on your, on your computer at work, whatever you wanna do, you can download that on our webpage and just look for the sermon guide link on our webpage. And if you're like, Brian, all of this sounds like too much work, Seriously, the third option, all you have to do is download the Chino Valley Community Church app and go to the sermon tab down at the bottom. And each week we will uh, give you that week's segment of sermon notes as well as questions. And week by week, we will just continue to provide for you. And all that's available on the Chino Valley Community Church app. If you haven't downloaded that app, maybe consider doing that. It's a great way of communication. It's a great way of, of signing up for events here at the church. And of course, it's a great way to watch sermons and interact with that as well. So now let's get to our study as we go into the book of, of Judges. But you know, before we get into Judges, it's important that we do a little bit of history. In order for you to fully understand the gravity of the sin of that time, their need for deliverance, went to fully understand the depths of the disgrace, the first thing you have to understand is the powerful promise that was made to the people of God before. And so before we get into Judges, let's start in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you're new to your Bibles, just start at the very beginning in Genesis and just flip to the right, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, as you're turning there and finding that, let me give you some history. The people of God have already been rescued from slavery in Egypt. They've already wandered through the desert towards Mount Sinai. They already had this powerful encounter with God to where God declared them his people, his holy nation, that he was going to transform them into a blessing for all the nations of all the world. And then we get into Deuteronomy where Moses once again reminds them of who they are and who they promised that they would be. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses again is reminding the people of who they are and their duties. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 1, Moses says this, now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments with the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all of his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen. Be careful to do it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. In the remainder of this chapter, Moses gives three basic responsibilities for God's people to fulfill, their li to fulfill in their life. First, they are to teach God's laws to their children so they never forget who God is and what he's done. First responsibility, teach your children and your grandchildren. So they never forget what God has done and who he is and what he desires in their life. First responsibility. Second, they're to be thankful for the blessings of God. As Moses spells this out, God is doing so much. Be thankful. And third, 
They're to keep themselves separate from the worship of pagan gods in the land of Canaan. Those are the three basic responsibilities. Moses says, hey, listen, I want to remind you as the people of God, number one, make sure you're teaching the next generations. Number two, be thankful and recognize all that God's given you. And number three, don't even think about worshiping other gods. That's chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter seven then goes into warnings. Where Moses says, I want to remind you, this is where your responsibility in this covenant, in this relationship. And then in, in typical Moses fashion, he goes in and says, and here's what happens if you don't. Man, I remember one of my kids, one time I was telling him, like, I want you to do this. And their question's very honest. It's like, okay, well, dad, just curious, what happens if I don't do that? Isn't the ashes some in our head? Okay, God, I know this is important to you. Just it's going to help me out. What happens if I don't obey you? Here's what he gives you. Deuteronomy chapter 7, starting verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers you before you and, and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will quickly destroy you. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and he and hew down their, their ashram and burn their graven images with fire. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, verse 7, or choose you because you are more in number than any other peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But... Because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out, of, out by a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Verse 9, know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 10, but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep his commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. Deuteronomy 6, Moses reminds them, hey, here's your responsibility. Man, if you don't do this, that is not going to go well for you. Instead of being in God's favor, you will be in opposition to who God is. But then he finishes it with promises of God. Look at verse 12, Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. Then it will come about because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them that the Lord your God will keep with you his covenant, his loving kindness, which he swore to your forefathers. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. Look at these descriptions. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, your new wine, your oil, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. 
There will be no male or female barren among you or among your cattle. The Lord will remove from you all sickness. Man, can you, anyone just celebrate that? Wouldn't that be great? No pandemics, no quarantines, no cotton swabs up your nose. You will be blessed above all people. Remove all sickness. He will not put you any of the harmful diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but he will lay them on all who hate you. You shall consume all the peoples whom the Lord your God will deliver to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, nor shall you serve their gods, but that would be a snare to you. And God says, and if you do your basic responsibilities, I mean, you will not experience pain, sickness, defeat. You will have success in everything you move forward to. I mean, you look forward and it's like incredible. Unless you think that, oh, Brian, maybe the the Israelites missed that. Maybe somehow they didn't understand this. Joshua again reminded them just a generation later. Flip a book to the right to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua, chapter 24. We're working our way to Judges. Those of you who are getting nervous. Joshua 24. Starting in verse 14. Near the end of his life, listen to the words of Joshua. Joshua was the leader of the people after Moses. Listen to what he said, verse 14, near the end of his life. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. I'm in Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for your, yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods uh, which your father served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will be living. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. Verse 16, but the people answered, says, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us from our, and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whom midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord. In other words, people are like, are you nuts? Why would we not serve the Lord? He's done everything for us. Like, why would we not serve him? Look what Joshua says. I love this. Verse 19, then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Joshua's like, I don't think you can do it. What a great pastor, right? Hey, serve Jesus. Okay, nope. No chance. You won't make it. If you forsake the Lord, I'm in verse 20, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm, consume you, if you're even after he has done good to you. And a warning from Joshua, right? Man, I'm telling you guys, if you mess around with God, it's, you're going to suffer. The people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, you are witness against yourself. Are you sure? 
I mean, you can't say, oh, Brian, the people didn't really understand. I mean, Joshua's running through the ringer. Honor, be faithful to God. Okay. Joshua's like, nah, I don't think you can do it. No, 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 Joshua, we can. Joshua says, okay, y'all look to each other. You're witnesses to each other. Don't come complaining to me. They said, we are witnesses. Joshua, we can do this. We're committed to it. And so as we go into the land of judges, we have this expectation. It's the land flowing of milk and honey. We're expecting sugar and spice, everything nice. We're expecting the American dream. Liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We expect prosperity, simplicity, blessing. I mean, what can go wrong, right? You're entering into a new era of life, and if God is for you, then who can be against you? And that, my friends, is what I think makes Judges such a tragic book. The page before, Joshua 24, there's this promise, a blessing of grandeur, of faithfulness, We go into judges expecting the best, the glory of God being reflected through a nation of people in a land flowing with milk and honey where there will be no defeat, no disease, no couples experiencing the pain of a loss of a child. Blessing of God. First thing, In order to understand the book of Judges, you need to understand a powerful promise that began. And now let's start the book of Judges. Judges chapter 1 should be the next page, if you're following along, book of Judges chapter 1. And it begins with what I call a rocky start. It begins with a rocky start. Look at how Judges 1 begins. Judges chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Joshua, the sons of Israel inquired of the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Great start. Great start. They go up and say, Hey, God, what should we do? Who should kick this off? God says, Judah, you go, and I'm going to take care of it. Look what happens. Verse 3, then Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me in the territory allotted me, that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I in turn will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with them. And Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and then into their hands they defeated 10,000 men at Bezek. Verse 5, they found Adonai Bezek and Bezek and, and fought against him and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. But Adonai Bezek fled. They pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. You might think, well, that's, that's weird. Verse 7, and a lot of people is like, oh, see right there, Israel's struggling. Listen, I don't think that's a negative. You cut off their thumbs and their toes. That's so they can no longer be act as priests. They can no longer act as warriors, right? And look, even the king received this as a divine retribution. Look at verse seven. And Adonai Bezek said 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to gather up scraps under my table. 
as I have done, so God has repaid me. So they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. I mean, at the very beginning, you're seeing, you're seeing them pursue God. You're seeing God hand people into their hands. There's, there's other kings receiving judgment as divine retribution. Look at verse 8. Then the sons of Judah fought against Jerusalem, captured it, struck it with the edge of the sword, and set the city on fire. Afterward, the sons of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country and in the Negev and in the lowland. So Judah went against the Canaanites who lived in Hebron, and they struck Sheshai and Ahiman and Talmai. I mean, it begins the first 10 verses. You're like, hey, good job. Thumbs up. A plus, gold star. You guys are doing it. You're pursuing God, you're obeying him, you're doing what you need to, and God's handing everything into your hands. Everything's working great. Let's continue, verse 11. Then there were, he, he went against, sorry, start again. Then from there, he went against the inhabitants of Debir. And Caleb said, the one who attacks Kiriath-sephir and captures it, I will give him my daughter, Aksa, for a wife. Othniel, the king, or the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. So he gave his daughter Aksa for a wife. Then it came about when she came to him, and she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. Then she alighted from her donkey. That's how you know they're like newly married, right? She alighted from her donkey. I look up that alighted. She just kind of drifted off. You know, I love how that's described. She alighted from her donkey. Everything's great. Caleb said to her, what do you want? She said, give me a blessing. So you have given me the land of Negev. Give me also springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Everything's going great. Everyone's getting what they want. This is fantastic. Verse 16, the descendants of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, came up from the city of Palms with the sons of Judah to the wilderness of Judah, which is in the south of Arad. And they went and lived with the people. I'm in verse 17. Then Judah went with Simeon, his brother, and they struck the Canaanites living in Zephath and utterly destroyed it. So the name of the city was called Hormah. And Judah took Gaza as its territory and Ashkelon with its territory and Ekron with its territory. Now the Lord, look at verse 19. Now the Lord was with Judah and they took possession of the hill country. And again, at this point, everything's going great. And then the next word, you see that? In my Bible, it's a big, huge biblical but right there. Everything's going great. But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had iron chariots. First taste of defeat. Everything was going great. Everything was fine. Everyone was experiencing success. And then the iron chariots... And we want to have compassion and say, oh, it's not a big deal. They had iron chariots after all. How can you defeat iron chariots? Let me just show you Deuteronomy. I put it here on the screen. Deuteronomy 20 verse 1. Listen to what God said to them before. When you go out to battle and against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, don't be afraid of them. If you go in and you see things and say, oh my gosh, there's no way we can conquer them. Don't be afraid for the Lord your God who brought you up from the land of Egypt is with you. All of a sudden we start seeing a little bit of dent in the armor. A little bit of scuff on the shine. And it just goes downhill from there. Look at verse 20. 
And then they gave Hebron to Caleb as Moses had promised, and he drove out from there the three sons of Anak, verse 21. But, here it is again, another big biblical but. But the sons of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who live in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the sons of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. Jump down to verse 25. So he showed them the entrance to the city. They struck the city with the edge of the sword. But there's another big biblical but right there. But they let the man and all his family go free. All of a sudden, there's some success and there's some failure. Verse 27, but Manasseh did not take possession of Beth Shean and the villages. Look at the end of verse 28, but they did not drive them out completely. And then we go from big biblical buts to did nots. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants. Asher, verse 31, Asher did not drive out the inhabitants. Verse 33, Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. I mean, you start seeing this, the first little verses, they were off to a great start. But then you start seeing they did some of what God wanted and some of not what God wanted. And that should be stirring something within us. As we look into this land of promise and this great opportunity, they're going to have nothing but success. All they have to do is be faithful. And we have this rocky start and this question needs to come in our mind. I wonder what God thinks about that. I wonder if God's okay with mediocrity. I mean, I know I am. I love it when my kids follow most of my rules. I love it when they mostly clean their room. When they put away majority of the dishes. When they work kind of hard and swim. Like that, that's my favorite. I wonder if God's okay with mediocrity. And it should burn in our hearts to where this promise, I mean, we had this great expectation there's this illustrious promise. Then there is a rocky start. Then it takes us to a disturbing trend. Look what happens. Judges 2. See, we don't have to wonder long if God's okay with mediocrity, if God's okay with some success and some failure, with some obedience and some rebellion. You don't have to wait long, because look at chapter 2, verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of the land of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall not make covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But, huge biblical but right there, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? First thing we see here is a disturbing rebuke. And I want to make sure you understand how important this disturbing rebuke is. You're wondering how important this is to God. When it says the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, that is a very clear term for the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. The Son of God, the power of all creation before he took on the form of man in the New Testament. The angel of the Lord. God didn't just send a messenger, he sent his son to address the people. And he came and said, listen, I've been faithful with my covenant to you. 
but you have not obeyed me. That term obeyed in, in the English, it's two words in the Hebrew. The two words in the Hebrew is meant to describe an obvious result of a powerful noise. For example, when thunder comes out of nowhere, children instantly cover their ears. When I'm walking with Gretchen and, and sirens go by, I plug my ears. I mean, there's some sounds that just require this obvious response. That term obey, when God speaks, there's this obvious response that's supposed to occur. God is saying, listen. Jesus came and said, listen. You have not obeyed. You have not given the obvious response of my direction. And look at the result, verse 3. Therefore I said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become as thorns in your side, and their gods will be a snare to you. The term snare, by the way, it's used to describe bait on a trap or a shiny lure with a hook at the end. It's something that attracts someone from their real purpose and leads to their obvious destruction. In other words, you're going to be constantly tested, constantly distracted. Man, the plan that I had for you in the land of promise, it's not going to happen. And lest you think that the people didn't understand that, look at verse 4. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. They wept so much they named that place Bochim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. I mean, there was such misery and disappointment and distress. They named a whole region of land after it. should lead us to think, how did this happen? I mean, in one chapter, right? In one chapter. It went from this land of promise where there's going to be no disease. Everyone's going to have success. There's going to be never defeat in the face of their enemies. I mean, this is going to be fantastic. It didn't make it one chapter. And God had to send his son and just say, you guys blew it. You didn't follow the plan. What happened in one generation? We see a disturbing truth next. You have a disturbing rebuke from God. Now we see a disturbing truth. Look at verse 6. This goes a little back in history. Now we're going back a little bit to help us understand what happened. How did this happen? Verse 6, when Joshua dismissed the people... The sons of Israel went each to his inheritance, possessed the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the territory of his inheritance. Verse 10, all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And if you're not against marking in your Bible, mark this verse. And then there arose a generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. My grandfather's Bible said it this way, they did not know God nor the work of his hand. And what happened? In one generation, how did everything go from promise to disgrace? Most people believe this faithful generation 
forgot one important aspect of their duties. To train the next generation in the truth of God and allow them to witness the power of his glory. I mean, it was, they were warned of this multiple times. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'll put it on the screen. These are words of Moses. Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make known to your sons and your grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb. When the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. They may teach their children. Moses says, listen, don't forget the time you committed your life to the Lord and don't forget to teach your kids. A couple chapters later, Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Look at this. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the day, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This needs to be a part of your life. Man, we love to go to Hobby Lobby and put Bible verses on our walls. But are we diligent in teaching and modeling these truths to our kids? It got me to wonder, I wonder how well we've been doing in our generation as a church. How well have we been doing in teaching our children the truths of God and allowing them to witness the work of his hand? As a culture, here's my opinion, as a culture, we love to complain that there's no prayers in schools. You know what? I think prayers were absent of homes before it was ever absent in schools. They don't allow the Bibles in public schools. Can I ask you? How many of us really use the Bibles with our children at home? We love to disparage the immorality of culture, yet Christian homes continue to struggle with divorce and pornography and adultery. This is something that I think led our elder board to look for someone like Pastor Kent. Because I think if we look in our lives... I'm not sure we've done much of a better job than the people of Israel. And I think if we look around, we see more disgrace. And we look in the future, we fear judgment. What if we turned it around? What if we as a church, what if we as a global church, what if we as Christians began to make sure we not only teach our kids the truths of Scripture, but we humble ourselves and allow our children to see the power of God in our own lives. His forgiveness of our failures. His restoration of our homes. His encouragement in the midst of our failures. Man, what if we had a plan 
to truly accomplish in the lives of our kids and grandkids what this generation failed. See, that's our goal with Pastor Ken. I told him I had lunch with him this week. I said, hey, just so you know, I'm putting you on notice. I'm letting everyone know what your plan is. And I made sure that he was okay with this. And listen, give him a couple months. But by the end of March, we're going to have strategies for you. Ways that we can partner with you, encourage you, and walk with you. And reaching our kids, opening their eyes, allow them to see the truth of God as we do. Allow them to experience the power and glory of God in their lives as we have. In hopes that the next generation, they may be more faithful to God than we have. Can I tell you, that's my goal with my boys. I want each and every one of my kids to be better than me in every single way. I feel zero competition with my kids. Man, I want them to fail less, have fewer scars, to have a brighter reflection of who God is. Man, that's our job. You want to know what happened in Judges? There was a powerful promise. There was a rocky start. Then there was a disturbing trend. There's a rebuke from God himself. There's a disturbing truth that they failed in one powerful way. Let me show you one last thing. The disturbing trend that followed. Look at verse 11. Begins with this one word, then. In the Hebrew, it's not even a word, it's a mark. It's a wah. It means directly as a result of what was ahead. Directly as a result of this generation that did not know God nor the work of his hand. Then, as a direct result, look what happened. Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them, and thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. We'll get into Baal and the Ashtoreth later, but I just want to tell you, when it says they serve Baal and the Ashtoreth, that is gross and violent stuff. A term forsook, term means they abandoned God, they deserted their relationship with him, they ignored him and treated him as meaningless in their life. They didn't just put him aside. They kicked him to the curb. One generation. One generation. They use that word twice. They forsook the Lord. They kicked him out of their life. Verse 14, here's the result. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. And he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. As the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them so that they were severely distressed. What a disturbing result. What was intended to be this blessing communion with God, no disease, nothing but success, no taste of defeat, 
because of their, who they were with God. Now God was against them, and the hand of the Lord was against them for evil. Here's a quote how one pastor described it. He said, instead of exhibiting spiritual fervor, Israel sank into apathy. Instead of obeying the Lord, the people moved into apostasy. And instead of the nation enjoying law and order, the land was filled with anarchy. You know what's the most disturbing part for me and judges is that I see a lot of us in them. So much promise, so much freedom, so much opportunity, so much mediocrity, so much apathy, so much anarchy. What do we do? The remainder of the book of Judges will span 500 years where we see an entire nation destined for promise spiral into disgrace. It's graphic, it's disconcerting, and there's parts of it that are disgusting. That's why I have a parental guidance. But I want to encourage you, bring your kids Bring your, bring your students. Allow them to witness the disgrace of sin and allow them to witness the continued deliverance of God that happens within it. You know, we're not the first generation to remember this story. Before we go, let me show you a psalm. Psalm 106. Psalm 106. It's a, it's a psalm where they recount the consistent failures of God's people. Look at Psalm 106, and it focuses directly on this period of the judges, starting in verse 34. Look at what he says. Psalm 106, verse 34. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. Look at verse 37. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons, shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed to idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices. They played the harlot in their deeds. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his inheritance. Thus he gave them into the hand of the nations, and those he hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them, and they were subdued under their power. Many times he would deliver them. They, however, were rebellious in their counsel, and so they sank down in their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. He remembered his covenant for their sake and relented according to the greatness of his loving kindness. He also made them objects of compassion in the presence of all their captors. A question for you. Are you in the midst of disgrace right now in some aspect of your life?
Is there an area of your heart, an area of your home, an area of your relationships with people where you're falling short? Maybe you've experienced some success, but let's be honest, you've also experienced some mediocrity and failure too. And as a result, maybe your home is divided. Maybe your community is broken. Maybe your church is lacking. Maybe your soul is broken. Maybe your heart is lost. Where are you suffering in the midst of disgrace of sin? Once you know, you wouldn't be the first. And sadly, I don't think you'll be the last. But there's an answer that we're going to see throughout the book of Judges that the psalmist has for us in verse 47. As the psalmist recounts all the failures of the people, there's one solution. Verse 47 says this, Save us, O Lord our God. Gather us from among the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. book of Judges, I think, is a painful look in the mirror. And my hope is that maybe throughout this series, we'll see more and more of the disgrace of our own sin. But then hopefully it will drive us to our knees to where we will seek for the deliverance of God. Perhaps you're here today. You're saying, Brian, I don't need the rest of the series. I know I need deliverance here. Seek the deliverance of God. Who can save us from our sins. Renew us on a path of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear any evil because we know God is with us. He is before us. He is behind us. He is beside us. He is with us. He'll set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And when life is hardest, he'll anoint our head with oil and refresh and renew our soul. Then it's all said and done. We know that we will walk in the presence of the Lord forever. If you need deliverance, let's pray right now. Ah, God, we're grateful for your word that allows us to see the reality of the human condition and our failure before you. God, there's some people here, God, that we need to confess our failure, our brokenness, and our sin. And God, the disgrace that follows. God, we admit that we are in opposition to you in certain areas of our lives. And as a result, there has been judgment and hardship and pain that has come upon us and our homes, our families, our churches, our community. 
God, we confess to you the disgrace of our sin, but God, we pray that you would deliver us even now. God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. Amen.